Welcome to Barry Pirro's Haunted Happenings Podcast, where I share in-depth stories of the paranormal, the supernatural, and the unexplained. So turn off your lights, sit back, and prepare to be scared. In 1933, newsstands were filled with stories of one of the most unusual crimes in U.S. history, the Ouija board murder. The story took the public by storm, and today, 87 years later, people are still discussing the case. As bizarre as the trial was, in the end it seemed like an open and shut case. But when it comes to Ouija boards, things are not always as they seem. Dorothea Turley and her 15-year-old daughter, Maddie, had often used the Ouija board together, so they didn't think that their session on November 8, 1933, would have been any different. Little did they know, it was to change their lives forever. Their fingers rested lightly on the planchette as they sat at the dining room table. Is there a spirit here with us? Dorothea asked. The planchette slid slowly down to the smiling sun on the upper left side of the board with the word yes printed under it. Maddie giggled and said, maybe it's someone who used to live in this house. Dorothea just smiled and said, I have a question. What should I do about my husband? The planchette drew several figure eights on the board before making its way to the letters M-A-T-T-I-E. It spelled out my name, the girl said, looking at her mother. Then the planchette continued its message, going deliberately from letter to letter without pausing as Maddie read each word aloud. You must kill daddy. Shoot him. The board went on to say that this had to be done so that her mother could marry the young cowboy she had been spending time with. Maddie and her mother looked at each other. Mom, I'm afraid it just told me to kill daddy. But rather than pacifying her daughter and telling her that the Ouija board is just a game and that she shouldn't pay attention to it, she said, you have to listen to what it says, Maddie. The board cannot be denied. Since their move to their new home, Dorothea had repeatedly complained to her daughter about her husband, Ernest. There had been considerable friction between the couple, so much so that on at least two occasions, Dorothea told her husband that she ought to kill him. And she had indeed been spending time with a handsome cowboy, a young man named Kent Pierce. She was apparently so infatuated with the man that she confided in a neighbor that she intended to marry him. On the night of November 17th, a skunk got under the Turley cabin and had a fight with their cat. The next morning, Mrs. Turley and her son went to the village store for groceries. Dorothea said to her daughter, Stay with Daddy, Maddie, and help him catch the skunk. 
I won't help catch him, Maddie said, but I might shoot him. Mrs. Turley and her son drove away, leaving Maddie holding her loaded shotgun. Mr. Turley got his bucket and went out to the corral to milk their new cow. Maddie followed him, still holding her gun. As he came through the gate carrying the bucket of milk, Maddie walked behind him. Suddenly, two shots rang out, hitting Mr. Turley in the hip. He fell down and turned to see Maddie on her knees holding the smoking gun. Oh, Daddy, have I hurt you? Maddie screamed and ran to him. He was in great pain, but he sent her rushing for help. As she left, he called to her, You should be more careful. Let this be a lesson to you. He assumed that the shooting was accidental and was taken to a nearby hospital. At first, Maddie claimed that she dropped the gun and it went off by accident. But a concerned police officer noticed that the wounds inflicted on Mr. Turley came from above. When confronted, Maddie did a complete about-face and admitted that she had deliberately shot her father in obedience to the Ouija board. A few weeks later, mother and daughter were charged with attempted murder. On December 22nd, an article appeared in the local newspaper saying that Mr. Turley expressed a desire to see his 15-year-old daughter punished for shooting him at the command of a Ouija board. Apparently, the girl had played with it quite a bit before because he also said that the board once led him on an empty search for treasure. But Ernest Turley wouldn't live to see justice served. He died from his wounds a few weeks later, and the charges against Dorothea and Maddie were changed from attempted murder to murder. After Mr. Turley's death, the mother and daughter were put on trial. Witness testimony showed that Mrs. Turley had inquired about her husband's life insurance policies and learned that he had two, which totaled $5,000. It was also revealed that soon after the Ouija board session, she and Maddie asked him how far away Maddie's gun would have to be to kill a deer. He told them about 20 yards. Of course, they never mentioned about the Ouija board session which called for his murder. At the trial, Maddie said, Mother asked the Ouija board to decide between father and her cowboy friend. As usual, the board moved around at first without meaning, but suddenly it spelled out that I was to kill father. It was terrible. I shook all over. Mother asked the Ouija board if the shooting would be successful, and it said it would. She asked if he would die outright, and it said no. We asked what should be used in the shooting, and it said a shotgun. We asked if we would have the ranch, and it said yes. We asked about the law, and it said not to fear the law, that everything would turn out all right. We asked how much the insurance would be, and it said $5,000. I tried to kill father the next day, but I couldn't. I lost my nerve. A few days later, though, I followed him to the corral. I raised the gun and took careful aim between the shoulders, but then I lost my nerve again. But I thought of dear mother and what all this would mean to her. I couldn't fail. My hand was trembling awfully, but I raised the gun and fired. Maddie also described the session with the Ouija board in detail. It had taken place in a dim, almost dark room at their home. 
Both she and her mother had their fingers on the planchette, and the board had spelled out that she was to kill her daddy. I asked mother if I had to do what the Ouija board said, Maddie explained, and she told me that there was no escaping its command. Dorothea Turley adamantly denied that any of this had taken place. She accused the officers of browbeating Maddie so much by third-degree methods that the girl would have confessed to anything. She stuck firmly to Maddie's first story, that the shooting was accidental. Maddie went before the juvenile judge, and he sentenced her to reform school until she reached the age of 21. Dorothea Turley was sentenced to 10 to 25 years. However, the conviction was overturned by the Arizona Supreme Court in 1936, resulting in Dorothea's release from prison after just three years. Did the Ouija board actually order Maddie Turley to shoot her father? Or did Dorothea Turley move the planchette around the board herself and convince her daughter to kill her own father? Did Maddie make the whole story up to protect herself from prosecution? Or was her confession the result of illegal interrogation tactics? We may never know the truth, but in the end, the board was actually correct on a number of points. It said that the shooting would be successful, and that it would be by shotgun. It said that Mr. Turley would not die right away, and he actually died several weeks later. The board said not to fear the law, that everything would turn out all right. Once again, correct. Mrs. Turley was acquitted of the crime, and Maddie didn't spend any time in prison. Food for thought. The Ouija board we know today grew out of the spiritualist movement of the late 19th century. From 1849 until 1888, the Fox sisters from Hydesville, New York, became world-renowned for their public seances. During these seances, mysterious knocks were heard, some answering yes or no questions by the number of knocks the spirits supposedly produced. The sisters toured the country and even held a seance at the White House for President Franklin Pierce's wife, who was desperate to communicate with her dead child, Benny. With the rise of the Fox sisters' fame, the spiritualist movement was born, and other mediums came forward claiming that they too could communicate with the dead. But in October of 1888, the Fox sisters' fame came to an abrupt end when Margaret Fox confessed in a signed statement that it was all a hoax. She told how at an early age, the sisters learned that they could make loud sounds with the knuckle joints of their fingers and toes. In retrospect, it's amazing that they were able to fool so many people for so long using just their hands and feet. It was later discovered that they also used a specially designed table that contained a spring mechanism that would strike a steel bar on the inside of the tabletop, thus producing loud rapping sounds. Despite Margaret's confession, which she later recanted after losing all of her money, the spiritualist movement continued to flourish. Many mediums began to explore other methods of communication. Some used tables that would tip back and forth beneath their hands to spell out words as the legs tapped on the floor. But this method was slow and tedious, and some began to explore the use of alphabets on tables and eventually on boards. 
As the spiritualist movement continued to expand, the use of talking boards became common, and by 1886 they were in wide use. In 1890, businessman Elijah Bond filed for a patent for a talking board that worked by using a planchette, a rectangular device that would slide across the board to spell out words. How did the Ouija board get its name? The board supposedly named itself. On April 25, 1890, William Kennard was spending time with fellow investors Elijah Bond and Bond's sister-in-law Helen Peters, who was a medium. They decided to ask the board what it wanted to be called, and it spelled out O U I J A. When they asked what it meant, the board spelled out Good luck. Now this story may or may not be true, as Ouija is also a combination of the words "we,"、oui, which is French for yes, and "ja,"、ja, which is German for yes. Although Ouija boards can be found in the toy aisle of department stores, many people feel that Ouija boards are dangerous and that they invite evil spirits into the lives of those who use them. But not everyone feels this way. Some think that using Ouija boards is harmless. And that they can be used in a positive way to communicate with loved ones and spirit guides. When the first Ouija boards were made, they were not viewed as evil. Remember, they grew out of the spiritualist movement, which had a positive view of communicating with spirits. Today, there are many people who still believe that Ouija boards are harmless and that they can be used to contact good spirits and deceased relatives. In her book *The Spirits of Ouija: Four Decades of Communication*, author Karen Dahlman talks about the many positive benefits of using the Ouija board. These include contacting loved ones on the other side, communicating with spirit guides, and making new spirit friends. Miss Dahlman feels that Ouija boards have a bad reputation because of people's religious beliefs and because of the way that Hollywood has portrayed the board. She thinks that using the Ouija board can actually help develop empowerment and spiritual growth. Dalman says that she's able to contact deceased loved ones, ghosts, higher selves, interdimensional beings, and angels. Many authors have used the Ouija board, and some claim to have had entire books dictated to them by spirits through the board. Poet James Merrill used the board to write many of his works, including his book. The Changing Light at Sandover. In 1957, Sylvia Plath wrote dialogue over a Ouija board after a session she had with the board. And author John G. Geller used the Ouija board to contact the spirits of some of the people killed during an airline crash when writing his book, The Ghosts of Flight 401. 70s rock icon Alice Cooper claims that he got his stage name from the Ouija board. The board told him and a friend that Vincent Furnier, Cooper's real name, was actually reincarnated from a 17th-century witch named Alice Cooper. So he used it as his stage name. And did you know that the Ouija board was in part responsible for the creation of the Alcoholics Anonymous program? Bill Wilson, co-founder of AA. Had a room set up in his house where he would contact spirits via the board to help him with his alcoholism. 
In his autobiography, Wilson acknowledged that he used the Ouija board to create the program's famous 12 steps. Not all people think that Ouija boards are good or that they're safe. Many people feel that Ouija boards are dangerous. I'm one of them. I base my opinion on the work I've done as a paranormal investigator and on my personal experiences with the board. In 2017, I conducted an investigation in Danbury, Connecticut that illustrates just how dangerous using a Ouija board can be. Ever since the Garner family bought their home in Danbury, Connecticut, things had never been quite right. But it wasn't until daughter Abigail and a friend decided to try the Ouija board that strange things really started to happen. Like most teenagers, using a Ouija board was seen as just a game. But the spirit that came through was nothing short of terrifying, and the activity that followed would remain for a long, long time. It was Abigail's senior year of high school, and she and a friend had decided to play around with the Ouija board. They set up the board in the living room and put their hands on the planchette. As it moved under their fingers, the answers they got to their questions were mostly yes and no once the word high was spelled out. In addition to the messages spelled out on the board, both girls distinctly heard a woman's whispery voice saying, hey, right in their ears. There was also a feeling of a soft whirlwind that blew quickly by. Abigail thought that this might have been the spirit of her grandmother trying to contact her, so she wasn't frightened. If anything, she was happy that she might have been in touch with her grandmother. Overall, their first experience with the board was tame and, for the most part, positive. A few nights later, the girls decided to try the Ouija board again, this time in Abigail's bedroom. The small crawl space in the corner of the room, a frequent play place for Abigail as she was growing up, seemed like the perfect place to try out the board a second time. But this time, things were totally different. Abigail explained, It was about midnight. My mom was home, so we went upstairs to my little cubby hole and started using the Ouija board. The messages that were spelled out on the board were, Get out, I don't like you, and I'm gonna kill you. Then we heard a bunch of swearing. Did you actually hear the swearing in the room with you? I asked. Yes, said Abigail. It didn't spell out swears on the board. It swore out loud. We heard a voice swearing at us right in the cubby hole with us. It was a deep, growling type of voice. It wasn't a female whisper like we heard the last time we used the Ouija board. It was a full-grown man's deep voice, and he sounded very, very angry. We could also hear stomping in our bedroom, and we peeked out, and there was nothing there. It sounded like heavy boots stomping on a wood floor, and it went on for a long time. We came running out of the room screaming, and my mom was like, what are you screaming at? She hadn't heard a thing. Not the man's voice, not the boots, nothing. After the Ouija board experience, Abigail started feeling as if she was being watched. One day, she said, I had a really strong feeling I was being watched, so I looked through the keyhole where you can see down the hallway to see if someone's there. I put my eye up to the keyhole and looked through, and all I could see was a red eye looking back at me. A red eye with a black center, and it was looking straight at me. I totally freaked out. 
A few weeks later, I was sitting on my bed, and I felt a hand grab my left arm, and it actually left a print. Like if you were to grab me really hard, you would see prints on my skin. It was like a really hard grab that held on to me for a couple of seconds and then let go, but the print stayed for about five minutes. I even got to show my mom. Abigail described another incident that took place a few months later. She said, One night, I went downstairs to get a midnight snack. The curtains in the kitchen were closed, but not all the way. As I was standing in the kitchen doorway, I saw someone standing outside looking in the window at me. It looked like a big man. I could see him looking through the part of the curtain that was open, and the rest of him was in silhouette against the curtains. I screamed for my mom and ran upstairs. We called the police and then came back downstairs and he was gone. When the police came, I told them what I had seen. They went through the whole house and went outside and walked the perimeter, but they didn't see anything. Not only that, it had just snowed, but there were no footprints anywhere in the snow. Whatever was standing out there looking in at me didn't leave footprints. The activity in the house died down for several years, but as soon as Abigail's husband, James, and three-year-old son, Andrew, moved in with her, the disturbing events started up again. James explained, One night, something touched me while I was lying down in our bedroom. I could feel knuckles pressing down into my chest, then running slowly down to my belly button. It started out slow, and then near the top of my ribcage, it moved really fast, and then it was gone. It felt like someone had put their fist on my chest, pressed down really hard, and then ran their fist down the front of my body. It didn't leave any marks or anything, but it was really weird, and it woke me up out of a sound sleep. One day, Abigail had an experience that left her fearing for the safety of her three-year-old son. One day I was giving Andrew a bath, she said, and he wanted to stand up in the bath and take a shower like a big boy. The shower was running, and I was holding him so he wouldn't fall down, when suddenly it felt like he got yanked out of my arms. I pulled him back toward me, and then he was pulled back again. It was as if someone was pulling him away from me toward the wall. I quickly swooped my hands under him so he wouldn't fall back and took him out of the tub. He was so scared. Now he's terrified to be in the bathtub. One thing that makes me think that the Ouija board was instrumental in starting the paranormal activity in this home were the sightings of dark figures. Abigail said, One day I was standing in the kitchen looking into the dining room, and I saw a black head with red eyes. I just saw a head, a black head with glowing red eyes staring at me, and then poof, it went away. It was high up on the ceiling, and it was upside down and it was staring straight at me. When I asked her to describe the eyes, Abigail said, They weren't human. They don't look like my eyes or your eyes. They're not that size. They're bigger than normal, like the size of ping pong balls. Abigail also reported seeing large black masses in the house. She said, It stands there and it almost taunts me. It just stares at me. I asked her, so it looks human-shaped with a head and shoulders? Yes, Abigail said. 
It's human-like, but a black mass without any features. The feeling I get from it is pure fear and dread. The last time that I saw it, I was coming out of our bedroom, and it was just standing at the end of the hall staring at me with those red eyes. It was standing right in front of the door to the room at the opposite side of the hallway. I stared straight back at it, and it didn't move, like it wasn't afraid of me. How about hearing voices or hearing footsteps around the house, I asked. I heard fighting downstairs in the kitchen one time, said Abigail. One of the voices sounded like that deep man's voice that I heard during the Ouija board session. The other was a regular sounding man, and they were fighting with each other. I couldn't really understand what they were saying. It was all mumbled. They were yelling at each other to the point where I was like, what the heck is going on down there? Did two people just break into the house and now they're having a fight about what to take? So after about five minutes of listening to these guys fighting, I went downstairs. I could hear the voices as I walked down the stairs, but as soon as I turned to walk into the kitchen, they stopped. I peeked around the corner, but there was no one there. Then as soon as I turned the corner, I heard footsteps running away. They went into the dining room, so I came around through the other entrance to the room. I went into the dining room, but there was no one there. There was no way anyone could go out of the room without my seeing them. After conducting an investigation and doing a clearing of the home, I was able to free Abigail and her family of the unearthly creature that was unleashed when she used the Ouija board as a child. A woman who attended one of my lectures shared a story about an experience she had with the Ouija board while at college. She said, I went to Salve Regina College in Newport, Rhode Island. This was back in the winter of 1986 when the college had just recently turned co-ed. So all the boys were in one dormitory, Carrie Mansion. The mansion was about 150 years old at the time, and it was very creepy looking. I always hated going there. I always had just a really creepy feeling when I went there. Well, one night, a group of girls decided to do the Ouija board at Carrie Mansion, and they shamed me into coming with them. You know, like, come on, don't be chicken. So I went. When we got there, we found out that all of the boys were out somewhere, but we decided to stay anyway, and we went into what they call the study room. This was a big room that had three 10-foot-tall iron grate windows. You know, those really thick glass windows? They were always shut because it was literally impossible to open them. The frames and hinges were rusted, and there were layers of paint that had built up over decades that had totally sealed them shut. We went into the study room and there were 10 girls, eight of us around the table, and two girls who sat on the tabletop crisscross with the Ouija board on their lap. They started asking questions. Is there a spirit here? And the board spelled out, yes. Are you a good spirit or a bad spirit? Bad. What is your name? And the board spelled out, Sebastian. So by now we're all starting to get a little creeped out. So they were like, Sebastian, if you're here, show us a sign. And nothing happens. They ask a second time. Nothing happens. The third time they ask, and I said, Yeah, the window's going to fly open next. And as soon as the words left my mouth, the window flew open. Well, it was absolute pandemonium. 
I was sitting at the edge of the table and I remember trying to get out the door which was right there. But this girl who was about six feet tall and 200 pounds pushed past me and landed right on top of me, knocking the wind out of me. Everybody ran out and I'm laying in the hallway and I'm stunned. All of a sudden, there's a man looking over me, the priest who lives upstairs, Father Mead. Father Mead was standing there looking at me like, what the hell is this girl doing on the floor? And I just pointed to the room. He looked and he just went white. He said, how did you open that window? And I said, it, it flew open. Don't lie to me, he said. I'm not lying, Father. The window flew open. And then I started to cry because now I'm totally freaked out. Then he saw the Ouija board and I said to him, I know it's a sin because here I am, this Catholic girl doing the Ouija board. It's only a sin if you believe, he said. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting here on the floor crying because I do believe because the window just flew open. Father Mead just did not believe me about the window flying open. No one could ever open these windows, and he just could not believe that one just flew open by itself. I said to him, Father, when we were doing the Ouija board, I said it, and the window flew open, and he was looking at me like I lost my marbles. He had to call in three men to come and put the window back in place because it weighed so much. I didn't sleep for about a week, and I never set foot in Carrie Mansion again. After well over a decade of studying the paranormal and investigating hauntings and other types of ghostly activity, I personally feel that playing with Ouija boards can be extremely dangerous. That said, I have to confess that between the ages of 17 and 18, I was deeply involved in using the Ouija board. At first, I used a real board, one that I bought at a thrift shop. But after a while, I would just draw the alphabet and numbers on a large piece of paper and use a glass or some other object as an indicator. And no matter who was using it with me, we always received messages. After a summer of using the board almost daily, it started to become clear that this was not such a good idea. The first indication was how I physically felt while using the board. My Ouija partner and I would put our hands on the planchette or glass and wait for it to move, and little by little, I would feel my body begin to change. It started with a feeling that I could only describe as the chills. I would literally start to shiver, not violently, but the way your body shivers when you have a fever with chills. Next, the indicator would start to move around the board. It usually started by tracing the figure eight over and over again as if it was thinking. Then after a while, the planchette would move rapidly around the board and begin spelling out words, phrases, and full sentences. The movement from one letter to the next was not tentative. It moved rapidly and with purpose. Sometimes it moved so rapidly that it was hard to predict what the word would be. What were the messages I received? There were many, and they were varied. One time, a young man came through saying that he had been killed in a motorcycle accident in some town in Ohio that I had never heard of. He said that he was lost and that he was asking for help. Another time, two spirits conversed back and forth with one another. One was supposedly good and the other evil. As each took over the board, a totally different feeling would come over my body. In the end, 
the good spirit won and said that God is all good and that evil cannot prevail. The session ended with the cryptic message, You, I, die. Speaking of which, I was often told that I would die. One spirit told me that I would be run over by a car that night, and it told me the name of the person who would kill me. Guess what? Here I am. It never happened. The board would often lie to me. Some of the lies were about me, about what was going to happen to me that night or in school the next day, lies about my friends, predictions that never came true, lies about people's lives. More often than not, the messages I received were either stories about the spirits' lives and deaths, stories that I could never corroborate, or outright lies. But not all of the messages I received were negative. The most amazing message I ever received from the Ouija board was a poem. The spirit who came through said his name was Albert Killings, and the poem he dictated was this. Never trust the wind that blows. It often seeks but never knows. It crawls upon the skies at night and often chills us with its bite. Now I've searched high and low for that poem, but as far as I can tell, it doesn't exist anywhere in written literature. A few days after receiving the poem, I hit upon the idea of writing a book of poetry dictated from the Ouija board, but just one other poem came through. It simply said, the stars are holes in the sky. My Ouija board days ended abruptly when I was 17 years old, and a spirit actually left the board and made its presence known in a physical way, which proved to me that this was not something I should be fooling around with. The experience was terrifying, and I have not used the Ouija board since. It was summer, and I was helping a friend look after his neighbor's dogs while they were away for a few days. After we had walked the dogs and watered the plants in the living room, I suggested that we try the Ouija board. My friend had never used the board before, and he was skeptical, but he agreed, so we sat down at the kitchen table, and I drew a board on a piece of paper. We used a drinking glass as an indicator. We started asking questions, and we watched as the glass began to slowly travel across the board. The entity who came through said that he was the spirit of my friend's brother who had died as an infant. I never knew this about my friend, but he admitted that he did have a brother who died shortly after birth. I asked the spirit how it knew how to spell if he died as a baby, and it said, they teach me here. It went on to say that it watches over my friend and that it protects him. Just then, the dogs who were in a room in the basement began howling. The glass began to move faster and faster around the board in a figure eight, and we suddenly heard a loud swishing sound come from the living room. We jumped up from our chairs and hurried into the living room. As we walked into the room, we were totally shocked by what we saw. In the corner of the room was a large indoor palm tree. Prior to the beginning of the Ouija board session, we had watered this tree and it was a healthy plant. Now, nearly all of the palm tree fronds were broken off of the tree and they were scattered all over the room. Some lay on the couch, others were strewn about on the floor. The few remaining fronds were broken, bent, and ripped looking and were hanging off of the trunk. 
It was almost as if someone had run a closed fist down the trunk of the tree, then grabbed all of the leaves and threw them around the room. The dogs were still howling downstairs, and my friend and I were really afraid. We quickly cleaned up the living room, then made our way back to the kitchen. To this day, I don't know what made us do it, but we went back to the board. I guess we just needed to know what this was all about. We needed an answer. I asked the board, did you do that to the tree? It spelled out, yes. My friend asked, why did you do it? And the board spelled out, because I love you. Now some might think that that's a charming answer, a message from my friend's deceased brother, a happy ending. But just as the board had told me many lies before, I was sure that it had been lying to us. The spirit who came through might have had some knowledge about my friend and his deceased brother, but it was using that knowledge to lie to us. The feeling that came through the board was bad. It was not a warm, loving feeling. It was evil, and I don't use that word very often. Think of it this way. By using the Ouija board, you are, in a sense, entering into an agreement with unknown spirits, demons, and God knows what else. The agreement goes something like this. By using this Ouija board, I am allowing any and all spirits to temporarily take over my body and use my hands to transmit messages. Whether these messages are true or not, I don't really know or care because it's all just for fun and entertainment. After using the Ouija board, I fully expect those spirits who have taken temporary residence in my body to leave it and to also leave my home, even though I was the one who invited them in. Does this make any sense to you? Me neither. In his book, Hostage to the Devil, famed exorcist Father Malachi Martin once wrote, Not to believe in evil is not to be armed against it. To disbelieve is to be disarmed. If your will does not accept the existence of evil, you are rendered incapable of resisting evil. And those with no capacity of resistance become prime targets for possession. So once again, do not play with Ouija boards. They are dangerous. Music